I think what we're actually doing is we're creating leverage. We are creating spaces where women of color and their allies can be in the same space to build solutions. Hey guys, I'm Tara Wilson, and this is the Fierce Lab Podcast, a series where women explore what it means to be confident, capable, and strong. That's Fierce, and we're here for it. Welcome, everybody, to the Fierce Lab Podcast. I am your host, Tara Wilson, and today I'm speaking with Sage and Aperna, who are the co-founders of Future for Us. Ladies, do me a favor and introduce yourselves. Aloha, everybody. My name is Sage Kealahilani Kiamno. I'm the co-founder of Future for Us. Hey there, this is Aparna Rain. And so you guys kicked off Future for Us at the beginning of 2019. Is that right? Great. And so as co-founders of Future for Us, you are pay equality advocates and diversity, equity and inclusion champions. And you are on a mission. Why don't you tell our Fierce Lab audience what the mission behind Future for Us is? So Future for Us is a platform dedicated to advancing women of color at work through community, culture and career development. Our vision is that women of color lead at the highest levels of all industries and sectors. Um, And yeah, we launched in January 17th of this year. So um, we are 11 11 months old. Yeah. And uh, we've grown a community of over 7,000 women of color professionals and and our allies um, nationwide. So both the partner and I have been working really hard of building that community where women of color feel they can share resources and tools to uh, level up at work, but also um, invite our allies to get to, to, to this conversation and mm-hmm. how do we uplift um, women of color at work. So that is our main mission at Future for Us. And the way we met is you did, was it an eight-city roadshow? How many cities did you guys go to for State of Women of Color? Yeah, so we flew to seven cities. So kicking it off in Los Angeles with Arlen Hamilton, the founder of Backstage Capital, then Austin, Dallas, Denver, Minneapolis, Portland, and back in our home base of Seattle. Uh, And all of those events were amazing. I met you guys in Dallas. Um, You had partnered with The Riveter, and I came and got to meet you and meet other women that have rallied around your organization. And I was just so fascinated by your story and what you're doing to connect women and build community that I said to you that night, I was like, what do I have to do to get you um, to join us for the Fierce Lab podcast? So we're so excited to have you today. For having us. Of course. So tell our audience a bit more about State of Women for Color and this roadshow. What was the impetus behind it? Yeah, thanks for asking. So the State of Women of Color was the very first event that we did um, in Seattle in February, the month after we launched. And the focus of that event really was bringing together data, storytelling, and solutions. And it was only for women of color. And we found it to be a really powerful format to drive action. And so when there was an opportunity to go on a national tour in partnership with the Riveter, 
Um, and we were thinking about, you know, what we want to do the most, what are the outcomes we want to see. We knew that we had to arm women of color and allies both with information so that they could advocate internally within their companies so that they would be, you know, they, they basically would have the fuel and the ammunition to start to create change at work. And Aparna, um, you talked about the data and the storytelling. That was one of the things that I noticed when you all presented. You tag teamed this presentation, um, but it seems like the data is really your passion point. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, for sure. And what is your background? My background is in education and research. Um, I really started my career teaching in public schools in Chicago and then um, went on to earn my graduate degree in education as well and launched a lot of the early college and career and STEM programming Mm -hmm. in South Seattle and South King County with largely immigrant and refugee kids and and then switched over a few years later and helped launch a nationwide teacher education platform in India and came back to the, the U.S. after the elections and really wanted to do work that would create change. So, yeah, it's been a roller coaster of a career, but really my background is in education and evaluation. Mm-hmm. What about you, Sage? What is your background? I noticed that when I met you as part of the presentation, you were doing a lot of the conversation facilitating with the keynote speakers and panelists that you brought in. But I got the impression that the storytelling is also important to you as well. Correct. Yeah. So my background is in um, public relations and marketing. Um, You know, I think so when 2016 um, elections happened, I really focused on uh, my how do I put my skill sets into women led, women focused companies and or uh, organizations? So, you know, I had a knack for uh, creating, creating and building communities, um, relationships and how do we do something out of the norm that is curated and intentionally built for women of color? You know, both the partner and I um, have separate skill uh, skill sets, and we knew that these two these two need you know data and storytelling need to marry each other both because data is the fact, storytelling is the way that people retain this information, and they're going to be moved by it. Mm-hmm. I flew to New York for a leadership incubator by uh, Vital Voices and um, CNN. Um, Edison Cooper, uh, CNN's uh, like communications manager or director, like she said that if you read a bunch of um, words, like a bunch of facts, you wouldn't really recognize it if we if we took it away. But if you read those facts in a story, in a storyline, mm-hmm. then you, you are able to um, retain that information better and you remember it. So that's kind of the magic of future for us is that we, mar- we marry data and storytelling. And my background is really how do we create those experiences? How do we pull those stories from um, the women of color that we do amplify the leaders in those cities? And it's just a passion of mine. I think, you know, growing up listening to Oprah, watching Oprah um, and how she's so powerful, such a powerful storyteller, Mm -hmm. um, really. And how can you shift mindsets? How do you, how do you shift a whole country and how people perceive and see, um, see um, problems and how do we build solutions is what Aparna is really good at. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of, um, what we work on. Well, and you make a very valid point about building solutions. So in both of your origin stories for Future for Us, I hear this post-election, there was this desire 
to do something, to create change, to use your voice, to use your talents and your skill sets. And it sounds like creating solutions was a major factor in deciding to create future for us. It, it sounds like you weren't just going to be happy talking about it. You wanted to bring solutions to the table for women of color. Correct. Yeah. So we, when we read the women, uh, um, the state, I mean, well, the women in the workplace report by McKinsey, mm-hmm. um, those stats that women of color make 20% of the population, but hold 50% of the lowest wage jobs. After the 2016 election happened, then we have these reports, you know, women in the workplace and then showing, you know, kind of bringing the data to our lived experiences is what really was a catalyst for us to create that solution, which is the community for women of color. Mm-hmm. And that's a staggering statistic. Women of color are 20% of the population, yet hold 50% of all the lowest wage jobs. And there's a desire to change that and a need to change that. Women of color, if I'm not mistaken, are also the fastest growing population of women starting and launching new business ventures. Isn't that correct? That is correct. Yeah. I feel like the work that you all are doing is shedding an even broader light on that and expanding platforms for women of color. They're, again, very solutions oriented. And I love that it's part of your three-pronged approach, data, storytelling, and solutions. It's great. Talk a little bit about what it was like to take this on tour to seven different cities. You did it in the course of how many weeks? Six weeks. And what cities did you find that you had the most traction and seemed to gain the biggest response? I'm, I know your Seattle event sold out, but beyond Seattle, talk about um, how you were received and the, the feedback that you got within your communities and these communities. Yeah, so um, in these cities, um, every city was super unique. They brought, you know, different types of um, women of color and our allies. What we heard back and a lot of feedback in these um, cities is that, you know, number one, these cities are like growing populations of women of color. Two, there is a huge, huge need um, for women of color to come together as a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and three, um, you know, they were just so... I think chalk is, you know, seeing the um, data, uh, you know, the data, but also not right. Mm-hmm. So just seeing the data um, pieces themselves, we're like, wow, this is um, this is huge. And I think our allies were the ones who were more shocked than anything. But I think our w- women of color who attended, you know, it was just validating. So mm-hmm. I think future for us flying to seven cities in six weeks was a, the community that we brought together for one evening. Uh, featuring, you know, four or five um, women of color uh, leaders within their um, in, in their cities is that, you know, like it's just a validation. Um, one of the most explosive conversations that we've had was in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when people think about Denver, I think people don't really realize that they have a pretty um, robust um, community of women of color, but also an ambitious and community driven mm-hmm. uh, group of um, women of color or um, leaders of women of color. So in that conversation, we had the panel where we discussed, you know, as women of color and as people of color, um, you know, recognizing anti-Blackness and, Mm. you know, um, and that was powerful is that we are coming together and creating allyship and fellowship with one another. But we also need to recognize the history of, you know, marginalization of Black folks once that 
that recognition was brought to the conversation, it was just explosive because it really opened uh, a lot of people's minds, but mm-hmm. also it really shed the conversation of, you know, yes, you know, this is a powerful, this is a powerful event where we really reckon, have mm-hmm. to recognize our own privileges. Um, and then how do we come together as a community to uplift one another and also invest in um, and fight for our humanity mm-hmm. as, um, as a community? Um, it really got to that deep level when we're talking about this is humanity, like this is our humanity, our identity, um, our livelihood and our survival mm-hmm. uh, in this country. So that to us was one of the um, probably the deepest conversation we've had uh, was in Denver and we just didn't expect it to be. Right. Um, but, you know, again, you know, every every city we've been through after the city, um, both upon and I just you know, once we reflect, we are just so humbled and rewarded um, mm-hmm. after every event because the event, I mean, the experience that we bring at, at each city is that it's, um, it's beyond just having an event, right? Like, yeah. this is about people sharing stories, some of the most traumatic stories, right? Like, some of the most traumatic experiences in the workplace. And it's very vulnerable, but it's also very, um, it builds the, fel- the, evol- the vulnerability um, brings the fellowship. Exactly. Um, I think that's what's powerful about it. Um, and that's kind of what we've learned and the feedback we received. And a partner can um, also add in something that she might have um, took as well. You know, so I think that um, in terms of, you know, the audience where the Riveter has a more mature presence, you know, those are the cities where we had the greatest presence, of course. We had an, an incredible turnout in Seattle. The event was sold out more than a week before um, Austin, we had an incredible turnout. We were part of the official Startup Week um, lineup and mm-hmm. offered something really unique in that mix. Denver was by far the most riveting conversation in, in terms of the role of race, in particular, the experiences of Black women. Um, but there's a question in, in your list that you said, you know, what, what has been the most surprising thing that you've learned, right? Mm-hmm. What's the most surprising thing that we've seen or heard? And I think that it was the the authenticity of the conversation. It was the vulnerability um, of the speakers. And also the fact that the conversation in every city was very much like a 201 conversation. You know, there was no city where we were having the same old conversation that we have when panels come together about experiences of women in the workplace, honestly, about the challenges that they've had. There was a city where we said, how have you been successful in white spaces? And the speaker said, well, I've only been successful when I have assimilated and the day that I decided to own my voice and own my race and own my melanin, really hard to be successful in all white spaces. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's not a thing that you hear often. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, our roadshow kicked off with Arlen Hamilton who sat down on the couch, breathed a sigh of relief, and offered guidance and offered conversation at a level where we, you know, we don't see her at in very public spaces. Right. You know, she was home and was able to say things that she may not say in front of 30,000 people. Sure. She showed vulnerability. And that's one of the things that I'm hearing as we're talking about this is that you all have created what feels like a safe space to have really raw, authentic 
sometimes tough conversations. And it doesn't seem as if there was a place for that or a, a community that existed for these types of conversations. And you've opened that up. That has to be very rewarding, both personally and professionally. Definitely. It really, um, just seeing women of color outside of Seattle who are just so driven, so ambitious, but also, I don't know, down to earth is it really, it's just the complexities of our identities, but how multi-talented we are. And there's so much fellowship across all these cities that it really reminds me of like my mom, you know, Mm -hmm. like she is the epitome of, of the community that we are trying to build for, you know, my mom, you know, she graduated her business degree, had three kids in college, you know, was a breadwinner. And like through every um, part of her career, faced a lot of these challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, after uh, after each event, I just get in the car and, and I always really like to think about like, wow, imagine if my mom just had this community where she could be sure. vulnerable, where she could have been and how helpful that could have been for her career and also just for her mental sanity, right? Mm-hmm. Like just knowing that there are other women of color out there who are facing these challenges and that um, we could build solutions to, to support her. Absolutely. Sarah, I, earlier you said, you know, we, it sounds like we're building a safe space. I would actually say that we're not, we're not building a safe space per se, you know, safe spaces have existed. Um, women of color have you know, commiserated with their colleagues, with their friends, with their aunties, with their families for centuries. You know, we're not doing anything unique in creating a safe space. I think what we're actually doing is we're creating leverage. We are creating spaces where women of color and their allies can be in the same space to build solutions Mm -hmm. um, and a place where women of color can bring their largely white allies to the table. You know, mm-hmm. at our very first roadshow event, we we saw a woman of color bring a, a white male VP from her organization at that very, very first event. And she wow. said, I want him to be here so he can listen to the conversation. And he sat at the very back of the room, mm-hmm. um, but was incredibly engaged the whole time, you know? And so we're creating leverage. We're not mm-hmm. creating spaces. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great distinction and a great thing to point out. It's that you're creating a space for leverage. I love that. Future for us is for women of color and their allies. What does it mean to be an ally in your eyes? So when we talk about allyship, we we really think about action. You know, being an ally or allyship is a verb. It means you're doing something and um, our space and our community is for anybody who's ready to take action. And an ally or a champion is anybody who isn't a woman of color, but also like women of color, we need to be allies and champions to each other and we need to take action. So when I talk about allyship, it's about what is it that you're going to do to create change so that women of color rise in their careers, Mm -hmm. in community, in life in general? And how are you going to step out of your discomfort? And how are you going to step out of this place of passive sharing Mm -hmm. into using your, you know, your position, your power, and actually activate change in your company? Mm -hmm. What do you mean by passive sharing? 
you know, we live in a we live in a world where we get to feel really good when we share some bit of sensational news um, via Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or channels that I don't even know about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, passive sharing. You know, I mean, I think we live in a world where a lot of white folk, in particular, think that they're doing the right thing or the good thing by posting something Mm -hmm. that they may think is controversial or posting something where they're standing up for a person of color. But then what happens is that you watch an act of aggression or microaggression at work and you don't confront the person who's Mm -hmm. done it. You know, you, maybe you go to the person it happened to and say, Hey, I'm really sad that this happened. But allyship means going to the person who is the perpetrator and saying, Hey, that wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and like this is a really small example. Um, and this is a really interpersonal example, but policies, practices, behavior, organizational culture um, is all geared to benefit white folks. Mm-hmm. And passively sharing or passively watching something happen is not going to shift the system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would say that anybody that's going to be listening to this podcast is, you know, um, instead of sharing things over Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, actually do that work live, mm-hmm. do that work in person with your colleagues, with your community, with your family. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for allies on how to move forward I think it's simple to say, take action. But there are going to be allies who maybe are accustomed to to passively sharing. And so how to move from passively sharing to taking real action. Are there some first steps that you could suggest? It's a big question, right? Our number one question this year. But like the, the bigger question is that like, why are, you know, women of color, you know, this is a part of what Future for Us is all about, but also, you know, it's like asking white uh, women of color, like, how can how can we as allies help you? Where it's like, you know, you need to commiserate with each other to figure out figure that out, you know. But, um, you know, with Future for Us, um, what we like to call for our allies is action, as Aparna said. But number one is to invest in your own education. Mm-hmm. Um, what that means is going beyond, yes, yeah, take that unconscious bias training, uh, take an anti-racist uh, workshop, et cetera. But like, go beyond that, right? Like, it's consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, what you need to do is practice that in your real life, like what Aparna said, um, in your community, in your workplace, at the dinner table, um, being a co-conspirator. That means really taking risk. You're taking risk on behalf of a marginalized person. Mm. Um, and number two is diversifying the, the content that you're consuming every day. So, for instance, if you're reading a po- if you're listening to a podcast, if you're reading a book, watching movies, um, making sure that you are um, consuming content that is out of the norm for yourself, uh, that opens your your eyes to a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, right now, depending on what when this podcast um, goes live, but you know, uh, Queen and Slim is a new um, movie coming out, which right. is a, a, that really is coming from a different um, perspective and the, the black perspective, right? So um, really understanding of like, what does that look like for you? Was it crazy rich, Amer- uh, crazy rich Asians came out? Right. I mean, yeah, of course, there's all Asian people in the movie theaters, but we should be seeing more white folks there, mm-hmm. you know, like really. So, you know, when Black Panther came out last year, um, what was really interesting is that 
in a lot of white communities, white people were not going to see the movie because they were afraid of who the audience was going to be. Mm-hmm. And it made headlines. And I and I think, like, what a crazy idea, like, for white folks to be worried about going to see one of the most important movies the first time there's a black superhero and your white fragility gets in the way of you watching a movie. Right. Um, when people of color actually live in fear of their lives um, each and every single day. So, uh, I mean, it's just, it, it blows my mind. Aparna, one of the, you gave a statistic in Dallas that a certain percentage of white people don't even have any non-white friends. Um, 75%. Yeah, that's huge. 75% of white Americans don't have any friends of color. That, that to me, is, is baffling. You know, you talked about that um, when allies attended uh, your roadshow, that they were the ones that were so surprised by the statistics, whereas women of color were like, yeah, we know. That was a stat that really struck me, that stood out. And then to hear you talk about that in, in white communities, white people aren't going to see movies, um, it, it's it's staggering. And then, I mean, if they're not willing to go see a movie, are they willing to speak up at work and say, hey, this is not right in the way you're treating my coworker. Um, something should be changed here. Can yeah, you bring I mean, valid there, point. There is, um, there's an author named Vichika Tolchian, and at one point earlier this year, she tweeted something to the effect of, you know, how can white Americans, but white women in particular, have any empathy towards women of color or see us as their peers when we've always been the help? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the role that black and brown women have played in America, like specifically here, is that we we are the caregiver. We have made it possible for white women to get into the world of work and be successful. You know, we've watched the babies, mm-hmm. we've cared for the, the aging parents, we've done the house cleaning, the shopping, the cooking. And so, I mean, that's, that's something that I think about a lot is the luxury that white folk have to live in a world where they don't have to interact with people of color Whereas people of color never have a choice to be it to not be in relationship with white folk. You know, That's right. it's, it's rare for any person of color to say, yeah, I have no white friends, you know, mm-hmm. but what it does is it, it must create a dissonance. Um, if you're not close friends with somebody from a different race or ethnicity, then you actually have little ideas about their lived experience. Like, how could you possibly know what they're right. going through? Right. You know? And it and gets back to the first tip, which is to invest in your own education and expose yourself. Yeah. And tip number two, um, diversify the content that you're consuming, be it podcasts mm-hmm. or be it the relationships that you're consuming. Would there, yeah. and, would there be a third tip? Too, like, yeah. Um, I, the third tip is to amplify um, and also look up to women of color leaders, right? So mm-hmm. um, within our presentation, we presented examples of women of color leaders that you can invest in, but also amplify um, the fact that some people didn't know who Indira Inouye was, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's unsettling. But we all know who Jeff Bezos is. We know who, like, 
Sheryl Sandberg and yeah, like right. Elon Musk, <laughs> right? But <laughs> we don't know, you know, Adrian Newey. Um, and and you know, going back to Aparna's point, um, I'm, you know, there's a really good. So I don't know if Chelsea Handler is a comedian. She's a white female comedian sure. who just came out with her book, but also a Netflix um, movie about her challenging herself and her white fragility as a white woman, Mm -hmm. Um, somebody who grew up um, a Jewish woman um, from working class and then, you know, it just went through stardom and right now, now she's a rich uh, white woman and, and she puts herself in these situations where she's trying to learn. So if people who are listening, um, I highly recommend um, watching the film, but also reading her book about her challenging, but also listening to Mm -hmm. people of color and, um, her, you know, her own journey. And I think that's what the point was, of the movie was, is that, you know, it's just Chelsea Handler. A lot of white women admire her. I, mean, I think she's hilarious. So, but she's really um, diving deep into an uncomfortable um, Space. Uh, subject of recognizing your white privilege, um, even scanning, uh, you know, the it was clever that the uh, movie, you know, scanned her help. And mm-hmm. there were all Hispanic, Latino and in her giant L.A. home. Wow, you know, and like the uncomfortableness of watching that, but her being so honest and open about her kind of about her journey and what she's ignorant of. So, if people who who want like us, because I know Netflix is easily accessible for most a lot of people, for a lot of people, I don't want to make that assumption, but yeah. So, I think that's a really good one. But Aparna also has something else to say. Please, you know, the last the last tip that I would give to anybody um, is work with your own community. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there, there's there been a lot of conversation about the emotional labor that people of color do and, and especially the emotional labor that women of color do. And we need to stop asking women of color to do the hard work for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to stop asking women of color to be the sole providers of solutions and to do it in a manner that makes people comfortable. You know, to do it in a manner where people feel like they haven't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, like white women, like work with other white women. Right. Um, and do the know, work. You, right. Don't do the work. Have the conversations. Yep. Uninvite people from the brunch club. You mm-hmm. know, like if you have a friend that makes racist remarks, um, if you have, you know, that group of girlfriends where when you're out to brunch or when you're out to dinner and you see a group of women of color being noisy and you want to walk over there and ask them to be quiet, like ask yourself where that's coming from. Right. And like, no, that's not okay. Because you're probably noisy to begin with. Right. Check your right? bias. Like we all just check your bias. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Check, check many of them. Right. Um, yeah, so, you know, like, that really is, like, we can say that I can sit here and say there are 10 tips that we have for what great allyship could look like, but I think that we need to, in 2020, pivot to a place where we can say, white folk, yep. how are you going to show up, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. how are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. You tell us. Right. And let us support you in that. Right. Like, stop looking to us to tell you how to do it. We've, we're tired of do, doing the emotional labor carrying the baggage it's time for it to be on white people correct yep so let's shift gears just a little bit you came off of a very successful road show um, as you mentioned your both austin and seattle events were sellouts you were very well received i, I followed along through social media as well as attending in person 
Tell me what's next for you guys. Yeah, so future for us in 2020, um, we have a lot of great plans. Um, our first uh, one-year anniversary party is in January, which we're really excited about. Um, but we are continuing to have our host our um, large-scale events. So, for instance, our Future for Us Assembly, which is a day-long conference for women of color professionals. We are going to continue that in April 2020. And we are still um, going to put on our State of Wind of Color Summit in the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're um, and a partner can also talk a little bit more about it. 2019, our first year was, you know, in a lot of ways, experimenting and getting to know not only about the needs of women of color so we can program to that, but also the, the needs of companies and allies and champions who ultimately are going to make our work successful. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that we need everybody to help women of color rise to the top. Like just advocating within four women of color alone is not going to do it. And so in 2020, I mean, we're scaling all of the things that have worked really well and we're going to continue to build out our community and um, products to keep our community connected. What are some of those products that you're looking to build out? You're just going to have to follow us on Instagram and other channels. Okay. So they're not announced yet. Tell me a bit. They have not been announced yet. Okay. You are in the middle of crowdsourcing. You've got a campaign going. Tell our listeners a bit more about that. So if they want to partner with you and support you, how can they do so? Definitely. So we just launched our first crowdfunding campaign on iFundWomen. Uh, we're super excited about it. Um, our goal is to reach $50,000 by January 31st, 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, what this money will contribute to is really scaling the future for us, um, getting our programming um, dialed in for 100%, um, giving us more resources, but, you know, covering operational costs, um, you know, running a business um, this year. Takes a lot, doesn't it? it um, <laughs> Bootstrapping. Yep. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. Two women of color, I swear to God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone's like, you guys did so well for 11 months. I'm like, well, you know, this is what we do, right? right. This is what we do with little resources. So mm-hmm. imagine if we had the resources for 2020, how we can impact um, our, our community, but also um, gear and equip our allies and decision makers to creating a more equitable workplace for women of color. So 50K will go that currently if you want to contribute so we highly recommend people to contribute you can contribute anywhere from twenty dollars so twenty dollars for 2020 mm. um, all the way to five thousand dollars for our heroin levels in three weeks that we've had this campaign live we've we've been we've been able to raise over half of our goal so right. currently congratulations um, but we still got a long ways to go so if you want to contribute please go to iphone women uh future for us contribute at the level that you feel comfortable mm-hmm. and receive rewards so if our listeners want to get involved they can do that for sure you talked about salary negotiation i know sage you actually taught a salary negotiation workshop at the ladies get paid conference claire wasserman's conference isn't that right Back in the fall? Correct. Yep. Yep. Mm. So um, I previously used to work for Ladies Get Paid about a year ago. Um, I was hired on to help with their branding and marketing and also was a salary negotiation instructor. So um, they 
had me fly around um, different cities to teach um, the salary negotiation classes. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be invited to be a speaker for their Ladies Get Paid conference in New York City a, um, a month ago. Gotcha. So that's a really hot topic right now. Women advocating for themselves financially. And it's something that I talk with women a lot about. We've talked about it on our podcast before. I'd love to hear from the two of you, maybe just a few tips or learnings that you have to share with our listeners around that topic of advocating for yourself when it comes to your finances and when it comes to your pay. Well, nobody else is going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. So... You may as well. I mean, the things that we know, right? Like I think of data as leverage. And so what we know is that women and people of color are not asking for pay raises um, or negotiating their salary any less often than their white peers. Mm -hmm. It's that they're not getting those raises and they're not getting the referral bonuses and they're, they're not getting to move up a level. Mm -hmm. And so I really think that, you know, asking people, both people of color and white folks to really be think about thinking about how we can be in listening mode better. Right. There's a lot of work that I think everybody can do. And I think especially women of color, because we often don't come from wealth in learning more and being savvier and asking for really what we not only what we we want or need but what we must have in order to thrive mm -hmm. and at the same time i think that for people managers who are largely the 75 percent of the population that doesn't have any poc friends mm -hmm. how can you be listening more you know when that person is sitting across from you and talking about money how do you put your own discomfort aside and show up as a peer to them in that conversation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think you said something, this was when we were in Dallas, that this wage gap is not, it's not because they're not, that w women aren't asking. It's that, to your earlier point, that those salary negotiations, they're not being granted. Um, it, is that, did I hear that correctly? Well, we talk about, you know, the wage gap being how it's calculated is an average. Um, it's, it's an average of anybody who is employed divided by the number of people, right, that are employed. And so the truth of the matter is that men earn more than women because they have more of the higher paying jobs. The truth of the matter is that Native and African-American and Latinas earn less than white women because they're in some of the lowest paying work in the country. And so it's a little bit of a myth that the wage gap is because I'm somehow getting paid 50 cents to the dollar that a white man earns in my job. That's highly unlikely, even though there probably are some small wage discrepancies within a company. I think the wage, the wage gap persists and exists because we're not getting promoted mm -hmm. because we don't have those high paying jobs. Mm -hmm. And the, the gap shifts only when we get to show up in leadership roles in equal numbers with our white peers. Right. And it goes back to the stat of 20% of the population hold 50% of the lowest wage jobs. It's like preventing people from um, people of color from ownership, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's it's kind of like the same concept. 
a lot of our listeners are small business owners, and they themselves know what that's like. I'm a small business owner myself. So what lessons have the two of you learned these last 11 months about growing a business? Yeah, I mean my my LinkedIn my LinkedIn message inbox about you know how are you doing it is uh, <laughs> probably the second biggest question that I have in my inbox right now. You know I'm a first time entrepreneur. Um, I come from a working class family that doesn't have wealth. I admittedly you know with my naivete came did this with a lot of heart, mm-hmm. um, with, but without a lot of knowledge about it. But I knew that you know I wanted to start this, and I was lucky enough to. Um, have a partner like Aparna who has um, experience in building and creating a um, startup, successful startups before. And she can talk about how, you know, it looks like in terms of strategy, but also like, how do we scale this? Um, Because, you know, I'm learning and growing every day as we do this. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and scaling a business is so challenging. I believe that the stat is only like 4% of businesses ever scale above a million dollars in revenue. And then the jump between a million in revenue and 5 million is about 4% of that actually moves forward. So scaling is is really challenging. Aparna, you've um, scaled startups before. So what advice do you have for our listeners? Um, if she's a woman thinking about starting a business or is trying to scale, what advice would you give her? Oh, man. You know, one is you don't build anything on a nine to five. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to be successful, suspend the belief that you're going to have work-life balance and suspend the belief that you're going to have time for sipping champagne (laughs) and taking long baths or longer walks on the beach. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not going to happen. And so... There's an element of entrepreneurship that is about the grind and ask yourself if you're ready for the grind. So that's one. The second is you're going to be the cook and the cleaner. Mm-hmm. And it's going to require you to, at least in your early days, know how to do every aspect of that company's work, right? And, and you're, you're an entrepreneur as well. Tara, so you know, you have to manage your budget. You have to, there's, you're not submitting uh, reimbursements to anybody else. Right. Like you have to manage your book. Yep. You have to manage your advisors. You have to manage your website. You also have to do the work. You also have to respond to emails. And mm. so are you going to be able to handle in the early days of your company, this really chaotic daily work life? Mm-hmm. But I think that the most important part about running any company is, is about relationships. And the humility that it takes to be in um, relationships that will help you be successful, Mm -hmm. you know? Entrepreneurship is very humbling. And you talk about you're the cook and the cleaner. I'm fond of saying the buck stops with me. You know, at the end of the day, I am the final one responsible, whether that's responsible for um, my team members and their livelihoods or the success of the client outcomes. It stops with me. And there, it's lonely at the top. I mean, have you guys found that? I mean, you have each other, but have you felt this somewhat sense of loneliness as you're building this business? Sage is sitting here laughing because she's experiencing it for the first time in her life. Oh my God. <laughs> Not true. I mean, yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, with entrepreneurship, like what a partner said is that, you know, 
we we are a partnership. You know, our our um our experience is unique too because we are in a marriage, right? Like you learn everything from each other. And what she said is that yeah, you have to you have to make sacrifices and decisions that are not the popular ones, right? Like this is something where. You know, it's it right now. It's December, and we booked strategy meetings on weekends. You mm-hmm. know, because it ta- that's what it takes to 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 build something bigger than yourself. I gotta admit, though, that I'm very lucky to have a very strong community of other women, exactly, of other female founders, but also women of color, mm-hmm. female founders who are going going through it, but we're all going it at different levels. So there's uh-huh. kind of like a mentorship that we're also. Um, you know, collaborating on. So that's, you know, that's the fortunate part um, about the sure. kind of the anecdote to the loneliness of being a founder um, and also an entrepreneur. Well, I think... Um, and then part can talk about her. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you make a valid point about having a great support system because entrepreneurship is a lonely place to be. But if you have women that support you and that are going through it, have gone through it, they're ahead of you and they're coming up behind you and you're all working together, that is, I have found that to be so valuable to be able to surround myself with other like-minded women who will give it to me straight when it's, you know, not going the way I want it to. And they're like, okay, you got to check yourself. You're in the wrong here. But knowing that I have a, a pool of women that I can go to for that advice and guidance and sharing is so critical. It's critical. Okay, so this is the Fierce Lab podcast and my favorite question to ask all of our guests, and I would love both of you to answer this, is what does the word fierce mean to you? The word fierce means to me relentless, being absolutely relentless of no holds bar, that fire of of go, Mm. right? Build fast, go now Mm. is what I think about fierce. Um, you know, Beyonce calls her like Sasha Fierce, you uh-huh. know, or like yep. alter ego. Yeah. Oh, um, I know. <laughs> that's kind of what yeah, you're like, I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of that's what I um think about when I mean fierce. Fierce is our community of women of color. Fierce are our fierce allies who go to bat for us. Um, and that's what I feel like it means. Mm, I love that. Aparna? I mean, I think of fierce, I think strong and powerful, but I, I also think of it being something that's quiet, you know, like the eye of the storm, the, the like quiet lion, mm-hmm. um, like just like gearing up, getting ready to kill it. So that's what I think of. It's great. It's great. Ladies, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with me this afternoon. I loved meeting you in Dallas. I am so excited for not only the success you've had, but what's to come for you in 2020. We will definitely share the link so that our listeners can get involved and support you as you go on your journey for 2020. So thank you for being here and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. If you liked this episode, do me a favor and subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. With your help, we'll grow the Fierce Lab community. And I would love to stay in touch. You can find me on Instagram at Tara M. Wilson. Wilson.